Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the Dead Idea of a Hala podcast. It's a variety podcast. This is the day before Halloween. Uh, Halloween is my favorite holiday. I don't understand uh, people who, for whom this is not true. I think it is by far the the, the kind of weirdest and, and craziest holiday we have. Um, there are no religious connotations, at least any religions that matter. And, uh, you know, that's great. That's what I want for a holiday. The only thing missing is having it off. Um, one of the things I love about Halloween is that uh, it is the day of the year that I feel like my tastes are most in line with uh, the, the world around me. You know, I spend uh, a lot of time in my life walking through stores and public areas and just kind of being turned off and grossed out by the advertising and the, the image that's presented by the world and the sentiment and then for one month a year all that stuff is replaced with really really gruesome uh crazy out there monsters and and stuff uh and some of it is really hilarious because it's not i mean some of it's really gruesome (laughs) like there's these just really really realistic you know peeled eyeballs and severed hands and stuff and just the idea of this stuff being everywhere uh one month a year really tickles me uh, you know, and I, I really like, uh, you know, the candy and parties and costumes. I think that's fun. I think that if you dress up all the time, that's a real problem. But once a year, it's super fun. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, haunted houses are really fun. We went to a really good haunted house this year at Fright Town in, in Portland. It's one of the top haunted houses in the nation. We've been to it before. And uh, really high production values. It's really awesome. One of the the haunted houses was really funny. It was like this, uh, you know, I, I was calling it H.R. Geiger's Haunted Masturbation Shack because it is it is all torsos and tentacles and and uh, you know it just it just looked like this this straight out of uh, you know eighties heavy metal uh, album covers Aeon Flux thing, but still you know still was creepy. Uh, one of the things that you know and, and I like uh, being scared, like I like scary movies and stuff. I think that I have the right attitude about that. I think that I get more enjoyment out of it. There are people who who approach things like that as if it's a, a challenge that they have to win. You know, it's like the people who watch scary movies and just spend all their time like, something's going to jump out here. Something's going to jump out here. <laughs> oh, there it goes. You know, and why, like, who, what, what are you getting for, for having that attitude? You know, are you, are you enjoying yourself more? Uh, based on that, you know, are you, uh, who, who wins when you do that? It's like the same people who do, you can do it with other movies other than scary movies where you just sit there and try to predict the plot the entire time. But that seems like, you know, you're not, you're not game, you know, you're not really playing along when you do that and you're really robbing yourself of, of, uh, the experience. So I, I, you know, I have a lot of fun with it. I don't have a lot to say in this kind of first half of the podcast. This, this show very nearly didn't happen. I'm, dealing with something in in my regular life that I don't really want to talk about on here and and that should tell you something of the the severity of it you know because there's nothing I really don't talk about but uh this is something I don't want to talk about and uh it's it's been a really you know bad weekend um so but I do you know I just have I just want to talk a little bit about Halloween how awesome Halloween is I did some new music for the show I want to put that on there 
I uh, want to tell you guys to tune in Thursday for the Halloween-themed Watch Out for Fireballs. Um, if you like old video games, we're talking about Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. And uh, here is a song. So for Halloween, I had this idea of writing an original piece of horror fiction, uh, you know, serious horror fiction, to play on the podcast. Uh, you know, I am a writer. I, uh, I've i written a few serious horror short stories. I didn't really have time, and the complications I mentioned in the first part of the show kind of got in the way. So um, luckily, while kind of searching through some old boxes, I found this old wax cylinder recording that an ancestor of mine, I guess, uh, had recorded. And uh, I haven't listened to it yet, but it seems pretty spooky. There are cobwebs on the box. Um, There's a haunted floating eye. Um, I figured this would probably be scary enough for Halloween. So I figured I would just play the the recording 
um, and put it on the podcast. And uh, here it is. That there's a label on the uh, the box that says "The Haunter of the Lobby Station." So uh, let's uh, let's both listen in. It was a stormy night, the sun high in the noonday luminance, and I, Reginald Chester Copperpennysworth Butterfield, sat upon my Shea Lounge, having recently fainted. Sick with consumption, or perhaps the dropsy, I found that my constitution was less than it had been earlier, in my more robust days as a battle antiquarian. The cause of my prone position on the chaises of lounges I will relate you, as I have relayed to the others, the police of Arkham, the detectives, the private employees of the Pinkerton Agency, those government inspectors, the defectives, detectives, unspectors, spectres, both abyssal and hypnotic, those military men with the thigh highs and the point head helmets, I'll tell you as I told them, and pray you have the fortitude to withstand the tale, so convoluted and squamously dull in the telling. The tale of the Haunter in the Lobby Station. It began six withens past, as I prepared to head out to the country for some air and exercise. My doctor colluded with my alienist to prescribe fresh country outdoorsmanship for my monstrous weight gain. No doubt you have heard the tale of the obese of Arbenshire. Shame and dunder, twas I the obese. My perchance for overconsumption of salt-laden delicacies began during my time in Egypt. A, a pharaoh's curse, or, or a disorder of the brainium, I'm not sure, but I had become addicted to the eatification of delicatessens. Not just the foodstuffs therein, delicatessens, but also the very brick and mortar that long since had resorbed the sights, smells, and taste of the animal meats and offal within. My mother often told me that anything's edible if it spends enough time loitering near sweetbreads, and believe me when I say that I believe her. Over five hundred pounds I was, with nearly exceeding my height, like a portly Sir Link living out his Legend of Zelda. The carriage creaked and the horses groaned as they dragged my flesh factory to the countryside hamlet of Strandford. Driver? Driver! I called. Can you speed those horses up? Perhaps using a whip? I must get the freshest of airs. Post haste. The driver abused the horses further in service of my whim, knowing that the stringy meats and skins would eventually be turned into orphan stew and blood juice cooler for poor children of the horselands. Our pace picked up slightly, and we made steady progress to Strandford. I travelled alone, as was my want but displeasure. I had annulled my marriage to sweet Cordelia when I found that she had found that I was too fat and she wanted a divorce. Monstrous obesity was not grounds for such in New England, but sweet Cordelia, being of the sweeter sex, having her womb displaced into her headspace, knew nothing of this. Being friends with the magistrate, I knew that he would side with me and allow me fifty horse whippings of my bride. But I am a gentle Caucasian, and I instead annulled my marriage and spent the dowry monies on a new keep to whittle away my days, whittling both wood and away at the contents of North America's largest pantry. Sweet Cordelia, penniless and without skill, returned to her life as a midwife Bertha before dying somewhere in some out-of-the-way corner. I wept a single tear when I heard, it providing delicious salt for my leg of gutter mutton. 
As the coach pulled into Stranton, the driver accepted my penny farthings while his team of horses quietly died off to the side somewhere. I roiled up the main thoroughfare to the Cap Crunch Inn, a surly establishment nearly as old as the settlement itself. On the way, I noticed the two-door houses, outhouses, single-family houses, dog houses of the sweet little townlet. Based in proper New England architecture, they were complete with slave bins and marital bleeding huts in the backyard. Even the dog houses had miniature bleeding huts for their bitches, orbiting the canine domiciles like the moon in the sky. I noticed some furtive glances my way, but assumed it was due to my status as the preeminent man of carriage on the eastern seaboard. Or rather, the man of preeminent carriage, if that follows. Their eyes, haunting and peaceful, staring into my flesh, creating intangible tunnels through my undergut. Peeping, always peeping they were, like rats on a sinking house, staring at a very fat man. Goodman Capcrunch sent for his best boys when I arrived, and they returned with armloads of stints and polies, differing ways to haul me up the stairs to my room and support the mattress when I got there. Each boy nodded and accepted my fleshy nod gracefully, and Goodman Capcrunch smiled like a pianola, half of his teeth missing. He nodded his idiot nod, and his back cracked as he stooped over to lift my hocks. His team of crack boys then spirited me up the stairs to my ready room. Exhausted from my trip of the stairs, I glanced around furtively for a Shea lounge, but instead found only an adequate mattress, held in check by nine stints and one boy, whose name escapes me, but twas toe-headed. It was there I sat and heard the first stirrings of the sound, that marvelous, hauntful sound, that strained and bountiful she-melody. I relaxed in the general direction of the window, flexing my ear fat to lift and separate, unclogging my sound way, and letting in the lilt of the fart trumpet. The melody, I can hear it now when I relax my ear fat, in my mind, always hearing, stalking me like some half-remembered bit of accidental innuendo that permanently shapes one's nocturnal rubbins. When the toe-headed protest of the corner support boy became distracting, I oozed to my walking feet and stood near the window. Out there on the manure-drenched alleyway, I saw her, a vision in taupe, mud-colored hair a-flutter, and cheeks a-ruddy, lips full and operational, and with the proper dripping nipples one expects from a midwife. In her mouth she played her thought trumpet, also known in the West as a Jewish harp or a boing-boing, and she played it with soul and with grace. Seeing me fill the window frame, she batted an eyelash. Or at least she would if she hadn't picked her eyelashes off, I, I imagine. I, uh, my heart, already at a steady 360 beats per minute, nearly doubled its pace. And I promptly fainted. I awoke in the saw parlor of the local children. The ghoulish breakbones about to excise my left hawk in an attempt to determine what had caused my spell. Luckily, I woke up, and after carefully putting my bilious lips aside, I stopped the man. After some brief confusion, he told me that the fart trumpeter could be found in the local locomotive station most nights. 
fought trump, trump, trumpeting for her sup, gathering penny farthings and leerful looks from the local magnates and carpet baggers. The disgusting royal answer told me that the lady never spoke, and never took a collar, and that no one knew from whence she slept or how much it would cost to buy her from her immigrant parents. I thanked him brusquely, and demanded he summon a regiment of man-boys and some sanded logs to convey my pejorative greatness back to the hotel. In the hotel I tossed, turned, strolled, and strumbled my way through a dreamscape nighttime fartmare whose dulcet poots from the fart trumpet around every corner, conveying unspeakable unrealities. I awoke in a sweat-soaked onesie, the same one that I retired in, newly soaked with nightmare sweat, which everyone knows is three times as moist as regular perspiration. Endeavoring to locomotivate myself to the station, I oozed down the stairs, taking care to belch quietly as my vomit valve worked overtime, irritated by the sudden strain of being awakened. Down the cobbled streets I hobbled, each tiny hoof bringing me inches closer to my ruddy muse. The station stood foggy and forgotten at the end of Crumpacker Street, and I could hear the soft call of a Diane Piper Ryback in the distance. It called. I tested the door to the station. Locked. Luckily, someone left the cargo lift plugged in, so I was able to deliver myself to the station via freight. Upon entering the station, I heard it, the terrible flatulent pipes, the squamish noise that came out sideways with each befuddled huff-puff. Entranced, bewitched, spellbound and down, I shoggeth down the freight entranceway towards the station, where I saw her, standing, bow-legs akimbo, puffing her pipe. In the moonlit station she took on other qualities, like multiple oozing sores and pendulous myriad breasts, each hanging like a bag of oatmeal from her twisted torso. Her hair writhed like bent tentacles, each strand ending in a fully-sized human eyeball. Her wings were leathery and wax-like as Ninja Turtle foreskin, and altogether she presented an indescribable aspect. But for her eyes, her face eyes I mean, not the ones dangling from each haunted underclit that hung like kudzu from her burlap sack, no, I mean her face eyes, they glowed all colors of the man-spectrum, a swirling nimbus of rainbow miracles that drew me in, plumping down the load wrap into the station proper. As I approached my destiny, my cream-filled stretch armstrong of a lover, the terrible trumpeting grew louder and louder. I placed my club foot upon the dais on which she stood, oblivious to the stunning boxes and tops around me, and yet the thought trumpet grew louder and louder. And as any Christian god be my witness, as I leaned into her dark embrace, moving aside her uber-fupa, to make room for my gigantic undergut, she continued to play louder, louder, until, until I, I spent nine years in a sanitarium after that, having my brain treated to regular electronic shocks and various dissections and cuttings. They say I went mad. They say I fornicated violently with my Squamish bride, and no one could tear her away from me. 
They say the constable had to put one and a half gallons of elephant tranquilizer in the batter of the world's largest funnel cake to get me to stop rapidly thrusting my encrusted member in the general direction of that noisome vulva. They say when they tore me away from that frenzy of lovemaking, under me they only found a sack of potatoes, deeply infected with winter rot, most of them having been peanut mashed. But I say to you that the sounding of that fart trumpet was real, and that there is a bee haunter in the station, that little scenic Strandford. Sometimes I can still hear the sounds of that damnable trumpet when I rub my nether regions for devil pleasure. In fact, I think I can faintly hear it now. Thank you.